Hi, I'm Alex Torpy, your town manager, and I'm here with another great community update. How would you like later evening bus service and maybe bus service on Saturdays? Well, you are in luck. Thanks to the folks at Advanced Transit, there are some really exciting scheduling changes coming up ahead. In this episode, I sit down at Advanced Transit's headquarters with Adams Carroll and Trish Palau, and we go through some of the really exciting service expansions that Advanced Transit is looking at starting this fall. We also talk about some of the sustainability efforts at Advanced Transit, including two new electric buses that have been added to the fleet. Um, we go behind the scenes a little bit about what makes Advanced Transit work, uh, how good, strong public transit systems can create community, and how important connectivity and mobility is, especially in a rural area such as here in the Upper Valley. I think you'll really enjoy hearing about how some things at Advanced Transit work, um, and there are some links in the show notes if you want to learn more about service upgrades at Advanced Transit or provide feedback in their long-term plans. So thanks for checking this out and enjoy. Okay, everybody, this is Alex Torpy, your town manager here, and I am here at uh, Advanced Transit's headquarters, which is definitely in Vermont, definitely in Hartford, and maybe in Wilder or White River Junction depending on who you ask. <laughs> and I am with uh, two wonderful people here. Uh, please introduce yourselves. Sure, I'll start. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. My name is Adams Carroll. I am the executive director here at Advanced Transit, and I am here with my colleague, Trish. Hi, I'm Trish Palau, and I am the director of marketing and philanthropy at Advanced Transit. Great, now Adams and Trish, both of you are relatively new here to Advanced Transit. Um, what brought you to AT, which I have a bias towards because that's also my initials, <laughs> and the Appalachian Trail, lots of ATs here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, um, we're, we're both, you're right, we're both pretty new. In fact, I think we started working here within days of one another. Yeah, that's right. And um, it's been not quite a year, but it's been a great, very busy and very productive um, uh, almost year that we've been um, here. I started in June and got had the pleasure of working alongside our former executive director, Van Chestnut, um, through the middle of November. And so kind of got to learn the ropes from him um, as he was moving into retirement. And, um, but yeah, I mean, that was the draw really is um, the, the, the job here and um, my wife actually took a job at Dartmouth, and so it just kind of happened out that Advanced Transit was looking for somebody, and mm. that's kind of my wheelhouse and expertise, and so all the stars aligned, and here I am. Great. And Trish, you've been in the upper, you were saying you've been in the Upper Valley for a little bit longer. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I've been here since 2017, um, and prior to AT, I was working at the Monshire, um, and I've historically this is my first time working in the transit industry but i was drawn to it because i appreciate the amount of access that it gives mm. to the community um how it empowers people so that they can move from one place to another uh, and historically i've just appreciated working with community-based organizations where um, there is a push towards um, informing and empowering people. And I feel like that's something that AT does really well. Yeah. And transit access, um, is one, I mean, it's like information access or it's just, it's so important to enable those kind of connections that you're describing. Um, and so tell us a little, just give a quick overview. My guess is many people that are listening are probably familiar with advanced transit. Um, but you know, what's the area that Advanced Transit operates in? Uh, I don't know if there's any sort of numbers you can throw at us. How many buses, routes, passengers, anything like that? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to, uh, I'll see if, how many I can rattle off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have, uh, our fleet just actually expanded in size. We have 33 vehicles now, revenue vehicles. Um, and the two newest ones are, we're really excited about, we're really proud of, I'm sure we'll talk more about them. They're electric buses. And they've been on the road since March. Um, and we operate essentially two services, fixed route service that moves between um, Hanover, Lebanon, 
Hartford, Norwich, Enfield, Canaan. Uh, and those are the big city buses that you see going down the street. And they stop at the same place every, you know, on, on every run and they have a schedule. And then we also have an on-demand service called Access AT. It's a paratransit service. So if you are in our service area and you have a disability that prevents you from using the fixed route service, that uh, Access AT can pick you up right at, right at your, wherever you're coming from and take you to wherever you're going, you know, essentially a curb to curb trip. And on our fixed route service, we're on track to do about a half a million trips in uh, the current calendar year. And for our on-demand paratransit service, it's a lot smaller, but it'll probably be in the realm of five to 6,000 trips this year. Um, I guess a couple more numbers I can throw out. We're one year away from our 40th anniversary. Wow. We, um, the program's actually a little older than that. It was originally a program of the Grafton County Senior Citizens Council, which is now the Upper Valley Senior, uh, Senior Citizens Council, I believe. Um, started in 1981 and incorporated as its own 501c3 in 1984. And so that's an important part of our, our history is that we're a nonprofit organization and we really are kind of, the, I think of us as like the regional forum for trans, you know, the, the, the towns and the city of Lebanon to come together and figure out transportation issues. And we're really, it's an honor and a privilege to play that role, to, to work with all the different towns and the citizens of those municipalities. Um, but, but, you know, wouldn't be possible if we weren't, think of a nonprofit and so um, yeah we're, we're thinking for ahead to our 40th year anniversary and how we're gonna celebrate that and I'm sure we'll have big plans to announce soon but it's been 40 great years that's pretty amazing um, that is an exciting thing to look forward to uh, though uh, yeah so question um, the funding for advanced I mean one of the amazing things about advanced transit is that is a fare free system yeah. Um, and that is such a big difference as far as how easy it is for people to get on and off that they don't have to transact at all. Um, has it always been fare free and where does the um, funding come from? Yes, uh, it is. It's a, a thing we get asked about quite often and we love to talk about because it is one of the things that makes us unique. It's becoming more and more common to have fare free transit. In fact, I think DC uh, it's probably one of the more recent ones you might have heard about that that uh, decided to make their bus system fare free but we've been doing it here for 20 years mm. and um, you know to the point now where I would say it's not even in question I mean it's just it's part of our DNA at advanced transit we want to be as accessible uh, to as many people as possible and really make it as easy as we possibly can to hop on one of our buses and so, you know, we're um, part, a big part of that is being fare free. The money comes from a number of different sources. And, um, uh, you know, originally when we made the transition from a fare based system to a fare free system, it started in one corridor, or Blue Route corridor mm -hmm. between Lebanon and Hanover. And uh, both Dartmouth Hitchcock, or I guess now Dartmouth Health, and the college, Dartmouth College, had a big part in making that service fare free and then extending it system wide. And that support has continued all these years. But we also get a ton of support from all of the towns that we serve in the city of Lebanon. Um, we get individual donations from our writers and from foundations. Um, that's a program that Trish manages um, well. And, our sponsorship and advertising revenue, which another program that you manage. Um, and then a, a big, big portion of our funding comes from um, federal and state sources. Both New Hampshire and Vermont participate. And then through those two states, we're able to access federal grants. And I think that's one of the things that I'd love to, to share is that, you know, essentially for every dollar that the local community invests in advanced transit for operating support, we bring back another dollar in, in federal funds. You're matching Hanover's contribution. Yep. Right. And for That's capital, great. it's even more so. So for every dollar that we get from the local community to buy a bus, for example, we bring back $4 from, from the federal government for capital, capital purchases. 
And so we're, you know, as far as that kind of return on investment, we're able to immediately double or uh, sometimes quintuple um, the, the uh, amounts that um, the local community invests in us. And, and hopefully, you know, we've, we've been able to show that we've been good stewards of, of those funds and, and really, you know, try to operate the system in a way that's responsible, but also, um, you know, reduces the barriers to entry for people. Um, the fair free, I guess the last thing I'll say about it is, you know, as a community, we've invested a lot in these buses, which are not cheap, mm-hmm. and all of the fuel to, to put them on the road. And essentially, once you set your schedule, you know what you're going to spend on wages, on fuel, on insurance, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff for the entire year. The worst thing that could happen would be that you set a bus out on its schedule and nobody rides it. Right. Because you want to recoup that investment. And, you know, the amount of money that you can raise via fares, especially in a rural area, it's not huge. The cost of, of uh, collecting fares is significant because you essentially, when you put a fare box on a bus, it's like driving around with an ATM right. essentially. Right. And, um, and and so you know, and and think about how many people might not take that trip to the job interview or to go pick up groceries or whatever, if you know, they weren't sure where they were going to find the two dollars to pay the fare. So. You end up suppressing ridership. Mm-hmm. You don't get that much money back. Um, and in fact, in studies that we've done, we've seen we would expect to either break even or lose money on collecting fares. Um, and then, as a result, you don't get all of the benefits, environmental benefits when people choose transit, the economic benefits when people who don't have access to transportation suddenly do. Um, you know, all of those sort of follow-on societal benefits that come from using transit end up being limited by the fact that there's a fare, you know, that's saying, well, I'd rather drive today because I don't want to fish around for the, you know, the change for the bus fare, or right. I'm, I'm not going to go to that social opportunity because I don't have the, the money to do it or, or whatever. Like that, that's just, um, in my, in my opinion, the worst case scenario. Right. Um, so yeah. Well, that's, it's pretty great. Um, I mean, I know just my own personal experience of, you know, being in place of fare-free systems, you know, where I went to college in Western Massachusetts, they had a really nice transit system and getting on and off, it was just so nice to be able to do that and um, makes a big difference as far as making people feel connected, which I think is part of the point of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that point, there's some really exciting changes uh, coming this fall. Um, can you share a little bit about, and then we'll talk about, there's some this is not the sort of full detail, but we'll provide a place where people can go to get the full detail. But what's the overview? What are some of the things that um, that are coming down the pipeline? Yeah, that's a good question. We, we are very excited about some changes that we have coming down the pipeline. And uh, I won't beat around the bush. People have been asking us for 20 years, longer probably, to have later evening service and to, to provide service in the weekends. And we are moving forward with those changes this year. We are proposing to add two more hours of service uh, onto our four busiest lines, which are our blue, red, orange, and green lines. And we are also proposing Saturday service, um, which will be a 10 hour service day um, and again, on, you know, our four, four busiest lines, we're asking for some feedback on, you know, some specifics related to how we roll this out. But, um, the question of whether we roll it out or not at this point, we've heard loud and clear from people that we need to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of a settled question in my mind. Um, you know, now we're in the phase of kind of figuring out, um, uh, some more of the details, more of the specifics. Um, we're having some really active conversations with our drivers on how we're going to staff this and mm-hmm. what, what we need to do internally uh, with our schedules and things like that. But um, it's been a long time coming, and I know it's uh, probably the number one thing that we hear from our riders is we'd like to have later service, we'd like to be able to get out on the weekends, and we're going to do it. It's very exciting. Um, Yes, and so that is, um, that's really great. And this was, there are a lot of different stakeholders 
that work with advanced transit um, to sort of ideate about these things? What are some of the other institutions, entities that you kind of work with in the Upper Valley? Yeah, absolutely. So we have, I mean, you know, must draw attention to um, Dartmouth Health and, and Dartmouth College, mm -hmm. which are two of our biggest funders. Um, and, you know, above and beyond, that's where a large part of our kind of institutional support comes from. We get a lot of support from Hanover, a lot of support from Lebanon. Um, in, it's different in every town, you know. So in, in Hanover, as I understand it, it's parking fund revenue that, that contributes. In, in Lebanon, it's um, just kind of part of the city manager's budget. In Hartford and Norwich, we actually go to the voters during town meeting and we have a warrant. Um, same thing in Canaan. Mm -hmm. um, and infield, it's a grant program. So it, it looks a little bit different, but everybody has some skin in the game right. and some stake in the future of this system. And, um, you know, even our passengers, um, although we're not charging a fare, we do collect donations and it's always really heartwarming to hear when we, you know, we do our twice a year, we do an appeal, we just sent one out and we get, you know, stories from writers saying, you know, I'm so grateful for my driver who gets me to my medical appointment or to get groceries or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to support this, you know, service that, that, that's so important to me. Um, so we also work with foundations. Um, a, a big supporter has been the Landacker Foundation um, for our yellow route, which we're also proposing some changes to. Um, and um, so that's been great. We work with community foundations. We work with a lot of the local businesses. Um, you know, Muscoma Bank, Timken, Hypertherm have all supported over the years, and we really appreciate that. Um, but it's a little bit of all of the above, essentially, right. as far as who participates. In, team in, effort. Yeah, it, yes. it, is, it is one of the biggest team efforts I've ever seen. <laughs> it's really incredible. And, um, but I, I think that a lot of people feel ownership over the, over mm. the system. And um, it's really interesting. We do, we do surveys. Um, we just did one last year of our ridership where we go out and we give, we hand a, a survey to everybody that, that steps on the bus for a day. And when you look at who responds, I mean, it's a re really a cross section of the entire Upper Valley from, you know, the doctor working at the medical center um, to the student who just moved here to, you know, people who are working in the plazas to, you know, kids getting out of middle school, um, you know, people who are going to the Haven for services. I mean, it's across right. the board. Right. We have everybody on the bus. And it, it's such a fun experience to be riding and feel like you're really, it's like one of those kind of real town square type of environments mm -hmm. where you end up interacting with a total cross-section of, um, uh, of, you know, of just the entire Upper Valley. And so, yeah. And there's some, oh, go ahead, Trish, yeah, there's some really great opportunities for people to interact about this also. Right, right. So in addition to the surveys that we did last fall, we also had public meetings and the feedback that we get from the community is so helpful um, and guides us through this process of making cha changes. So we are, um, this Tuesday, we're going to be having an information session where we're inviting members of the community to come and learn more about the planned and proposed changes that we have ahead. Uh, and so those, we have two sessions that we're doing and those meetings will include um, posters that will display some of the information and, and allow people to give feedback and there'll be a presentation as well. Um, and after that meeting, there'll be, there will be, um, Sorry, the presentation will be recorded. Mm -hmm. It will be, and the video for the presentation will be available online on our website. Um, and what is that for people? It is advancedtransit.com/plan. Okay, is where you can find that information. Uh, in addition to the video, the posters that we will be presenting will also be there, and there will be a feedback form, so people are welcome to give feedback to us through our website. That's great. So if people aren't able to make it out, they can still learn about what's happening, see a bit of the details about the plan and provide feedback. That's correct. Cool. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, that's really exciting. I mean, you know, since coming up here myself, you know, so many conversations have been about housing and transportation and sort of, you know, economic resiliency and all these different things. And, you know, I didn't know this before, you know, when I ran for office now, oh dear, 12 years ago in New Jersey and learning how interconnected housing and education and all these different things are and up here, um, you know, this, this system running in a relatively rural area, I mean, it shrinks the distance in a way that is so important, um, but is, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, the nights and the weekends are definitely feedback that I've heard. And so it's really exciting. Um, and I imagine that, um, is that the kind of thing that if that works really well and people and you're seeing high ridership numbers in those hours, that that is something that could be continued to be expanded in the future. Um, what what is you know ten years from now look like for advanced transit? <laughs> I yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, I I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't. Uh, I I don't want to make any big promises uh, other than that. Um, in addition to these short term service improvements. We do have some more medium range, I mm -hmm. guess, um, proposals that we're going to put out there. And, you know, it, to be frank, part of it is it kind of depends on how the communities continue to develop and where right. where development happens. So, for example, in, in Hanover, um, you know, I know that there's been some really exciting changes yes. to land use policies and things like that. And so, for example... You know, we're seeing more development along Wheelock Street. Mm -hmm. We want to increase frequencies there. That right. that sort of stuff uh, is what we look for when we do our planning processes. Um, some of the things that we heard were, um, you know, a long-standing request to get service to Sachem mm. Village and uh, from Sachem up to Hanover, and so we have a proposal for that. That's a short-term recommendation, but we also have some longer-term options as well um, on, you know, reconfigurations to our round route or green route or, you know, or different different things that we'll ask people to kind of weigh in on and tell us what they prefer. Um, because, you know, we, we want to be responsive to our actual riders and potential riders uh, when we make big changes like this. Um, and we've had a pretty good history of doing these planning processes every five years. Um, you know, when I say that people have been asking us for weekend and evening service for 20 years, I feel confident saying that even though I've only been here for a year myself, because you can go back and you can read through the comments and the right. feedback that we got in those previous plans. And that's kind of been working its way up the priority list to now where, you know, if anything, we're kind of overdue. Um, mm. In our 2018 plan, we had um, a proposal to add an hour of service in our fiscal year 2022, another hour of evening service in fiscal year 2023, and then to roll out weekend service in fiscal year 2024. And of course, COVID happened. Right. And uh, we lost half our ridership. So right. it didn't really make sense to do it then, but now we're seeing ridership coming back, uh, particularly on our blue, blue line in Hanover. Our orange line has been really resilient. Um, our red line, which pri primarily, you know, which goes down to the kind of the shopping destinations, um, did really well during COVID comparatively. Um, and it's just going, coming back and, it, and it's time for us to kind of get caught up on some of those big plans that we had, uh, from, from that last planning process, even as we look to the future. Hmm. And there's some other cool things happening related to sustainability here. Um, what are some of those, uh, changes some of those are already uh, mounted on the front of the buses. Um, some are a little less visible. Yeah. What are some of those uh, updates and changes happening? Yeah, maybe Trish, I'll let you talk about some sure. of our sustainability efforts. Yeah, our biggest change is recently we just put two electric buses out on the road. So they're um, recent additions to our fleet. From what I understand, they're also the first electric buses to serve the state of New Hampshire. Awesome. Which is very exciting. Yeah. Uh, and we are aiming to add more electric vehicles to our fleet next year. Um, we also have some cutaways that we've planned, that we're planning to add to the fleet. 
Um, in addition to the electric buses, I can talk about some of the other things that we do here sure, yeah, yeah. Um, at the organization. So we uh, harvest our rainwater and mm -hmm. we use that to wash our buses. We also recycle our fuel uh, and use that as a heating source. So sustainability is a big part of what we, of our mission here mm -hmm. at, at Advanced Transit. We, um, we want to highlight that in every aspect of what mm -hmm. we do here. We do have a solar array on top of the building as well, which doesn't directly power our EV charging. We, we sell that power back to the grid, but it's, you know, it's part of the facility, part of our footprint, one way of, of reducing our impact. Um, we're doing some big infrastructure upgrades here as well, because, you know, like Trish mentioned, we have these two buses on the road now, two more big buses that we've got on order and some of the smaller vehicles, which we call cutaways um, in the pipeline. But we're looking, you know, essentially a decade ahead. Um, and our fleet is relatively new. You know, um, there, a lot of our buses were purchased in 2018, 2019, and they have a 12 to 14 year lifespan. So it will take us a while to replace every vehicle with an EV. Um, but that's the direction we're heading and we're building the infrastructure now so that as we add more vehicles into the fleet, We'll be you know the the wiring the conduit everything is already going to be in place for us to put the charger in uh, for that vehicle when it comes online and so that's that's been a huge project that we've been working on um, over the past year and it's coming along really well um, I showed up here the other morning and there was a crew with a bucket truck dropping the largest transformer I've ever seen <laughs> at an individual business in my life off and um, you know, we have all new cabling going directly from our facility straight to the substation. Um, just what seems like miles of conduit running around uh, with, with, you know, wiring in place for, for future chargers. Um, so we're, we're trying to be a little bit, you know, on the, on the cutting edge as far as fleet electrification and that sort of thing. But, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a very exciting project to be a part of. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I imagine there's a lot of infrastructure needed for the size of the batteries mm -hmm. on a bus, a little more than a car. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we've been really surprised so far with the range on the vehicles. We were, we were kind of conservative when we put them out. We were, we were putting them on the morning shifts. Um, historically, you know, we'll put out a diesel bus and it'll stay on the road all day long and, and the driver will switch in the middle of the day. Uh, out in the field rather than it coming all the way back to the depot and we're thinking well we're not sure we're going to get the same range on, on these electric vehicles and so we're bringing them back in the morning shift and they come back with like 60-65% state of charge mm. they could easily stay out the whole day oh. and what we've been told by our vendor is that the next two buses that we'll bring in are going to have 30% more range than the ones that we already have in service um, so yeah the batteries are big no doubt about it, but uh, the technology is just advancing so rapidly. Right. It's really incredible. Um, and, you know, the, the experience on a, as a passenger, you know, other than the fact that it smells really nice because it's brand new and it's really <laughs> quiet, I mean, you'd never know this difference. Um, our drivers have told us they have a lot of pickup. They're really, you know, they're, they, the performance is good. Mm. Um, they're much heavier. There is that aspect to it. Uh, if there were any drawback, I would say that's that's probably the big one. It makes the steering a little tighter, and of course, uh, we'll see what it does to our you know roads and things like that. I mean, I think they're probably less than a big dump truck, and so uh, it should be fine. But it's it's been a change for the drivers to get used to the heavier weight of the vehicles. Um, and what about like snow performance? Is mm -hmm. that um, um, you know the battery capacity and driving in the snow i would imagine actually the weight might be better yeah um yeah the weight helps I and mean, we put we put pretty um we spend a lot of money on tires yeah, so, right. you know our business is driving all day long you can imagine um and you know we try to keep the fleet outfitted with really good uh snow tires and in, in the winter um with the big electric buses we may not need them just because they're so much heavier um, but there is a, a, a tricky aspect to it, it the regenerative braking system um, 
I know some of our drivers have suggested that we might want to turn that off when things get a little bit snowy and icy just to have, you know, I, I think it has to do with traction and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And the regenerative braking is a big part of the range of the vehicle. I mean, that's right. so in addition to the colder temperature, which has an impact on, on the batteries, you know, not overall capacity, but what effective range we're able to get out of, out of the battery. Um, the fact that we might need to either turn down or turn off regenerative braking will make it more of a challenge. Uh, but again, I think we're, we're so far pretty impressed with the results. It sounds amazing. And I mean, this is the challenge of operating a system in a northern climate, yep. which is a place where you have an even greater need for it in the winter. Because although I, I have seen people riding their bikes around in the snow, uh, it is not something I plan on doing myself. I don't know if they've got snow bike tires, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, it's just even more important in the winter that people can still get around. Right. You know, whereas you might, I mean, on a day like today, I might, you know, love to take a walk. Yeah. But you know, a couple months ago, maybe not. Right. I mean, we've heard even from people that drive during, um, you know, the nicer months, they, they're worried about the wear and tear, the salt, all that kind of stuff, how it impacts their car and switch to the bus because, you know, it's mm. one less thing to worry about. Or, mm. you know, if you don't want to put snow tires on your car, then you can, again, switch to the bus. So, yeah, I mean, there, for a lot of reasons, I think um, we, we do tend to have higher ridership in the colder months mm. than uh, in the warmer months. Um, the college's schedule has a big, you know, right. influence on that when the students are off, you know, primarily off campus and all that kind of stuff, we, we see less ridership. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, that is uh, um, something that we're pretty proud of as, you know, all the big storms that we had uh, this year, our drivers are just, I'm so impressed by them. They never complain, they get out there, they're up, you know, doing their pre-trip inspections before most people have even got out of bed and um you know they're there at 5 a.m for their first pickup even when there's you know snow hasn't even been plowed off of the off right. the interstates yet you know they, right because they're too early for that right right, right. <laughs> yeah and uh i mean it's it's truly uh it's remarkable I, I came from pittsburgh and we get some winter weather not anything near like what we have up here and I just assumed that that would be, you know, we would have a ton of issues finding people that would even be able to get in, right? You know, on a, on a on a heavy winter day. And nope, they just it's it's almost like a point of pride, you know. Um, we're we're out there working, getting people uh, because people depend on us. They need, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's to get to work or to school or whatever the the, the reason may be. Um, our writers depend on us, and they expect us to be there. And so, um, yeah, I, I can't commend the drivers enough for, for uh, you know, their jobs are, are hard on a good day. Right. They're operating heavy equipment in the right of way. Right. And they're also, you know, being asked to be people's tour guide and, you know, help them navigate the upper valley and, um, you know, they're maintaining... Uh, you know, making sure people aren't getting too rowdy and disruptive. And, you know, there's so many things that go into being a bus driver that, like, uh, it's it's one of the most complicated jobs right. <laughs> that you can do to be doing all of that at once. Um, and and they do a great job of it. And, and um, you know, I think they get a lot of, we get a lot of great feedback from our writers about our drivers. Well, I had a really great uh, driver some months ago, um, and uh, they were. I was down around West Leb, and they were. They could tell I was the only person on the bus at this moment, mm -hmm. and they could tell. Like I think the way I was like looking out the window, that I was like kind of trying to figure out exactly. I hadn't taken that route before. Yeah. Um, and he was, and he basically was like, "Where are you going?" And he's like, "All right, not this thing, but it was just like super." Oh wait, you're going over here? No, no, that's not the right. You, I'll take yeah. you this way instead. Like it was just like so helpful. Yeah. Um, and knowledgeable, and uh, you know, it was just nice. It's just really nice when you have people when you're interacting with people in these sort of spaces. Um, where you know they're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of people a day, mm -hmm. and to maintain the sort of positive attitude 
um, you know, that is hard to do. Yeah. The snow stuff is funny because even though it is hard, we were joking before, I think it is a New Hampshire, New England thing yeah. in Vermont that like you just never, snow can never keep you from anywhere. Right. <laughs> and that's what we were joking in Hanover that I never, there's no snow day policy. Uh, and you'd think that the farther north you get, the more snow days there would be. But actually it seems yeah. the inverse because people are prepared. And like you said, it's sort of a point of pride. Yeah. Oh, there's two feet of snow. That's nothing. You should have seen the blizzard in, you know, 97. Right. I lived in St. Petersburg for a while in Russia for like mm. three years. And I worked at a university and uh, we got so much snow and, you know, it would get to be like November and December and people would just stop coming to work. And you would like, did they quit? Did they get fired? <laughs> like, what's going on? And then like March comes around and like, here's, you know, City Yoga shows up or whatever. Right. Just, you know, it was too... That was just part of the culture. Yeah. And and so then I was thinking about that, like we were moving to New Hampshire. And I was like, I can probably deal with this because I've lived in a cold place before. And, you know, like I rode my bike in St. Petersburg, which is flat. So it was a little bit easier. But, um, you know, I'll be able to handle this. And I looked it up and this area gets more snow. Oh, really? <laughs> than St. Petersburg. Wow. Yeah. More snow. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I, I did worry about that. Um, you know, like, was I going to be able to, to handle that? But also like coming from Pittsburgh, you know, I was working in, in transportation and it wasn't uncommon that we would say, we're on a two hour delay today or we're, right. you know, we're opening up late or, you know, I'd call my ops crew and say, hey guys, like if you can't make it safely to work, you know, right. we'll try again tomorrow because I don't, don't put your lives at risk and that kind of stuff. And I'm just so impressed. People are not faced by it up mm -hmm. here at all. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's something for, for me to get adapted to, but you know, our, our veteran drivers have been to this forever. They're so used to it. They have, you know, it's no sweat to them. Right. So. And now I know, uh, or correct me if I'm wrong, um, you, you all have had some, uh, or you're going to have to do some more hiring, mm -hmm. and there's been some challenges related to that. Um, you know, a lot of organizations in the Upper Valley have had a hard time hiring right now, and a lot of that is because of housing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the arguments that I've tried to make to policymakers at higher levels is, you know, the fastest way to build housing is expanding transit access. And talking about, you know, more support that the towns and the state and federal government can uh, provide. Um, but as an organization, I mean, how many staff approximately are here in total? So we have 53 employees right now, um, most of whom are drivers. And we have a couple in-house mechanics. Yep, we do all of our maintenance in-house. Uh, we have a facilities crew that... Um, well, it's different in every town. In Hanover, all of the shelters are owned and maintained by the town. Thank you for doing that. Sure. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, for, for like our shelters in Vermont and in Lebanon, for example, we're out there, you know, cleaning them, all that sort of stuff, maintaining them. Um, and then we have a small admin team. Uh, we have our, you know, operations manager, supervisors. Um, and we're split. You know, we have people who are coming from parts of New Hampshire, people who are living in Vermont. Um, you know, we all kind of coalesce on here, but I hear this pretty frequently from our staff that, you know, it's, it's increasingly hard to find an affordable or attainable place to live and also work in this area. Mm -hmm. um, so that puts pressure on us, you know, obviously on our, you know, how we're compensating people and, um, you know, we, we try to, we try to keep up as much as we can, uh, that then we have to go and ask for more help from all of our funders, the towns, the, the federal government, all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, even, even if we are able to provide, so we, we do our part, we try to provide appropriate compensation, but if you're on the road for an hour, because that's the closest place right. you can find a place to live before spending another 10 hours driving. That's true. You know, I mean, right. that's, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty I tough thing about that. The yeah. commute for someone who then drives, that's right. gotta be more challenging. And you know, the States are small enough that you could choose to go in the other direction and get a job in, in Manchester or right. Concord right. or, you know, wherever maybe Brattleboro. Um, and so, you know, that, that's, that's 
one of our biggest challenges. On top of that, the school bus systems need drivers. Dartmouth Coach needs drivers. Premier Coach does business up here. They need drivers. Door to door transport. Everybody needs drivers. And yours are all CDL. We're all right. CDL and drivers. We're having a lot of trouble with yeah. that. And on top of that, you need a passenger endorsement, which is okay. Um, you know, there's not like a tech school that you can go to to get a passenger endorsement, hmm. uh, at least in the this specific area. Um, so there's only so many people going around, and we're all kind of like we we just wish there were more drivers out there. Um, you know, and um, it's a great career. I mean, you you have basically your pick of jobs right now. If you're a CDL driver, you you yeah. have a lot of leverage. That's true. <laughs> to take on whatever role that you want, and um, we're we're very um, you know grateful for for our drivers who have stuck with us for many years, and um, for all the new folks who have joined over the past year. When I started here. We were at about 46 full-time employees, so we've mm. we've stabilized around 52 or 53, and um, you know there were a lot of retirements during COVID. There were a lot of people who chose to move, you know, down to Florida or or try something else, and it was pretty tough there for a while. And um, now, as we're looking at expanding services, you know, we at least we need at least two or three more drivers um, to cover the additional hours that we're going to be asking for. And so, you know, that's that's the challenge right now as, um, uh, you know, short of growing our own, which we do sometimes do, we do CDL training in-house mm. and, and we're able to get people certified. Um, you know, there's, there's only so many people out there that have the credentials that we need in order to be able to put, put you behind the wheel of one of these buses. And um, so... I wonder if there's not some collaboration opportunities because a lot of the other towns I talked to were struggling with CDL employee mm -hmm. issues. Um, though I have to admit, I think I have solved our housing issue while we're talking here. Are you ready for this? Mm -hmm. Okay. So have you seen the old buses that are converted into tiny homes? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, done. <laughs> Take the old buses, convert them into homes, yeah. and then we can have a tiny home uh, community. Yeah. Although, I don't know if you are living in a in the schoolies, I think yeah. they're called. Although I guess it's usually school buses right. as the platform. But that's that's a, a, maybe not a dream of mine, but you know, I spent um, you know, four months driving across the country a couple of years ago. Um, and you know, on that trip, a lot of different configurations, very cool things. And one of the things I would love to do is you know, get a really old, you know, an old bus at some point and convert it into a sort of tiny home. Yeah. Well, I've, I've heard of people doing that. I mean, we surplus our buses after about 12, 12 to 14 years mm -hmm. is the lifespan. I definitely heard of people taking our, you know, purchasing the old buses and converting them. But I that'd mean, be cool. The other aspect of it, though, is, you know, as far as the housing solution, because we cross town lines, you know, we go all the way out to Enfield and Canaan, we're in Hartford, we're in Lebanon. You know, it's part of that thing that although the job centers might be DHMC and Dartmouth right. College, um, you know, the system has been in place long enough that there's, I think, these really strong patterns of people, um, you know, looking along. When you look at rentals, for example, it's not uncommon that you'll see near the advanced transit stop or near the bus stop. Definitely um, seen that, yeah. Because people are making those decisions about where to locate. They, they want to be able to get, you know... Mm. They, whether you're living in closer in town and paying a little bit more for housing, the fact that you can have a fewer, one fewer car or maybe no cars, um, you know, makes up for the additional rent that you're paying, or, you know, all the way out to uh, having the flexibility to choose to work in Hanover and live in an infield and have a one seat bus ride, you know, all the way out there. I mean, that's, that opens up different opportunities for people. But I do think, if there were more housing mm. <laughs> generally, and especially if it were built along those established corridors, um, and we're seeing that in some places, you know, that, that makes it more possible to, to just, you know, have a, have that home budget that balances when you, when you take your two big expenses, which tend to be housing and transportation, stick them together. Um, you know, we, we, we don't build houses here, but we feel like we're part of that conversation sure. because, where, where you choose to live has a big impact on how much you spend on transportation. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're moving the ball forward in some towns, and just last night in Hanover definitely moved the ball forward. We're recording this the day after our town meeting. Um, some zoning changes that are, you know, doing things like reducing parking minimums, which are just, like, we got to get that stuff out of some of these zoning codes. It's just such a, um, I don't know, an outdated way of thinking about how people live and get to places. Um, but they're stuck in some of these ordinances, and you know, haven't been looked at in a long time. And, um, and so those are, those are really exciting changes. Um, and so I'm curious too, um, what is the, uh, I guess if there are folks that are listening, um, well, I have a couple questions. If folks that are listening and they want to get involved or help support advanced transit in some way, I'm guessing, Trish, you might be the right person to talk to. Where should they go if somebody's listening and they say, you know, I love what I'm hearing. It's so important to have public transportation access in the community for so many different reasons. Where can they go? Well, one great resource is our website. Mm -hmm. um, so on our website, you'll find information about our mission, um, our plans. We try to share uh, as much as we can with the community about the work that we're doing. Um, and you can learn about donating to Advanced Transit mm -hmm. and supporting us that way. And another great way to support Advanced Transit is riding the mm. bus. So that's a fantastic way to, um, to show your support. And so I want to ask another question about that. So someone that might be listening and say, okay, but you're not collecting a fare. What is the value of me riding um, the bus? And so what is the, I know you're tracking the ridership number, and I imagine that goes in grant applications and the more you can show, but what's the, yeah, so is that, is that the, that's the benefit, is that you're tracking ridership yeah, I, and I reporting can, those I numbers? I can speak to that. Um, we, we, we work in both Vermont and New Hampshire, and we get support from both states. And Vermont in particular is probably the most directly linked. What they do every year is they produce a route performance report. Hmm. And they look at all of the public transit, the rural, small town, urban routes in the entire state. And they look at how much is spent on them and how much ridership they generate. And, you know, essentially, it's a pure comparison thing. So, you know, you'd, you'd rather be towards the top rather than the bottom of that. Um, it's not often that this happens, but if there's a really unproductive route, they're going to approach the agency and they're going to say, we don't think we can continue supporting wow. this if there's not ridership. And uh, I'll be totally transparent, we normally do really well on that. Our yellow route, which was launched right in front of the um, pandemic, never caught on like we hoped it would. And we, we, you know, the yellow route looks pretty bad in the route performance report because it just never gained the ridership that we thought it was going to. Mm. So one of the changes that we'll be proposing, you can see more information about it on our website, is actually rerouting part of the yellow route um, so that it'll still do its White River Junction loop, it'll go to the Aquatic Center, to the Gilman Office Complex, but um, it'll actually go all the way to Hanover now. Mm. And um, and I think that'll be, uh, you know, it'll have the effect essentially of that corridor between West Lebanon and Hanover Route 10 um, having half-hour service on that, whereas today it's only hourly. Nice. And we also think we're going to be able to route it through Sachem Village um, to pick up folks in Sachem. And so, you know, we, we look at the ridership to know where we're doing well, you know, where the service is performing well, and we make decisions about how we route, uh, you know, how we change our routes and things like that off of that. Um, but there's also all the other benefits of, you know, when you choose to take public transit instead of driving, it's, you know, one less person that uh, is fighting for the parking spot at the co-op or one, one less person sitting in traffic on, on 120, you know, in, in rush hour and, uh, you know, less emissions. It's, you know, it's a, just so many other benefits that, that, that come from that. And our mission is to make that possible for everybody in the Upper right. Valley. So we want to, we want to, we want to do that. Um, and as far as other ways to get involved, I mean, we have a lot of stuff coming up this summer. I don't know how much of it is 
fully baked and ready to, to talk about, but do you want to talk about maybe some of the SuperQuest stuff and like uh, farmer's markets? Yeah, we have, right. So we're working right now with Vital Communities. We've partnered with them on SuperQuest. I don't know mm. if you're familiar with, mm. so Vital Communities, um, on their websites, on their website, they have Valley Quest, which are these sort of place-based um, exploration mm. um, sh uh, tours that they have. So a lot of times, you can, it's a, just a great way to explore the Upper Valley. And every year, they have a Super Quest, which is um, you know uh, you do a series of Valley Quests over the course of a few months, and it um, and if you complete. Um, if you complete those quests, you can you can enter yourself uh, to be um, you can submit this completed form to be entered into um, some kind of a prize or a drawing. Or yes. Something. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so um, so this year's super quest uh, the theme is ways to go, uh, and so it's uh, exploring the upper valley through different modes of transportation. Mm. So that's via biking, walking boats or public transportation oh, so cool. that's one of the things that we're doing um, with uh, with vital communities this summer we're also going to be at the Lebanon farmers market uh, this summer we'll have a table there um, almost every you know at one point this is Thursdays on, on Thursdays yeah, okay. there yeah. so um, that's a, a great way for us to also share some of what we're doing and for people to give us some feedback on the work that we're doing um, so that's happening this summer as well. And then, um, oh gosh, next, I guess the week that this comes out probably will be Curb Your Carbon Week. Uh, and there's going to be an event uh, that we'll be at uh, with some of the bike and ped groups and things like that. Um, it's Curb Your Carbon Day. And um, so we'll be, we'll be out and about and getting busy in, in the community this summer and trying to tell as many people as possible about these big plans that we have for for expanded service in the fall um you know i was talking earlier about the worst thing that we, the last thing we ever want to do is have buses on the road that, that people aren't using and so we we're going to make a big splash um about these changes and 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 uh hope that when we we launch these expanded service people will adopt them right away <laughs> so yeah yeah that's exciting um, so one last question for each of you. Um, what is one thing you wish more people knew about advanced transit? And I guess we could say public transit in general, but if there's something that you, you, you don't think people know about, or maybe there's a misperception about advanced transit or public transit, is there anything out there um, that, you, that you'd love to share with people? So the, I think the thing that I would encourage everybody to go and find out more information about and and uh if they haven't done it already is download the transit app it's a just just that transit search in the google play store or the apple um store whatever it's called uh for the transit app and not only can you find all the information about our routes and our schedules in there but you can actually see the bus moving in real time nice so you never need to wonder uh, did I miss it? Is it, you know, is it running early? Is it late? You can watch it moving along. We were one of the first rural transit agencies in the country to have that technology, which is now pretty commonplace. But the cool thing about the transit app is not only can you see our buses, but you can see Tri-Valley Transit and the Mover mm -hmm. and some of the other services that come through the area and see how you can make connections in between them. And it's easier to use in Google Maps. I mean, you just type in, you know, I want to go, I'm in Hanover, I'm trying to get to White River Junction. It'll give you all your options, including biking, including if we had it, car share, but we don't. <laughs> uh, we don't really have many Uber or, or Lyft drivers. Not many. Yeah. Um, and it's the easiest thing that you've ever done. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think once people who are maybe not familiar with the system and see the bus stops and they kind of they go on the website, they look at the schedule and they're kind of feeling like, this is, this is, um, you know, maybe above my comfort level. Uh, I think the transit app really answers a lot of those concerns. Um, the other thing is we're working with Jam right now on a series of videos, um, a project that Trish has spearheaded um, that will be kind of like 
educational explainer transit 101 type of videos and we'll we'll provide answers to the, a lot of those what do you wish people knew about transit mm. questions nice everything from like you know you're on the bus how do i get off <laughs> uh, to you know i need the ramp or i need assistance with you know with my wheelchair how do i get that um mm. so yeah and adams and i've talked about how one of the barriers with riding public transit is sometimes just not being comfortable because you're right. not familiar with it you don't know how to do these things because it's just not part of your day-to-day and so with these videos we're hoping to to help people become more confident when they um when they're riding the bus and we're you know, implementing a few other changes to try to help people feel confident about that experience, like new bus stop signage, for example, that we're going to be putting out on the streets in the summer. Um, so that's definitely something that, uh, you know, we'd love pe for people to know about these mm -hmm. videos. On top of the educational aspect, we are also going to be developing some videos um, on some adventures on AT, so mm -hmm. places that you can get to on our buses mm -hmm. that people might not know that they can. You can get, probably get to the AT on AT. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. AT is going to take AT to get to AT. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Come up with our tagline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's actually pretty common. Uh, our brown route in particular, uh, people come off the AT in Norwich. They they gas up at Dan and Wits. Mm. They ride Brown into Hanover and. Uh, Sometimes they get lost. I was in, uh, I was riding in West Lebanon and I had a group of uh, AT through hikers on the bus with me saying, how do we get back to Hanover? And they were on, the, I don't know how they even managed to make it to where they were because they had gone from blue to red and here they were. And... You'd think after navigating, you know, hundreds of miles <laughs> of trails. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it does, It we see that quite a bit. Summer, and I'm sure we'll be welcoming those uh, riders. On. I think I've just started seeing some, yeah. some, some hikers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. And so I'll also sh share this is random. Uh, maybe it's funny, maybe it's not. When I was in college, I was interested in, so we had the you know, uh, PVTA in, in the Amherst, Massachusetts area, um, and I wanted to be a bus driver. I thought it'd be really interesting to see and interact with people just in all walks of life. Uh, but they only allowed UMass students to, um, as student drivers, they didn't allow Hampshire students. And I was taking the bus one day and uh, having this conversation with another, with a friend in Hampshire. And I was, we were I was joking how, you know, I, I thought it would be funny if I were a bus driver um, on the route with like a, you know, I don't know, a Monday morning, everybody's going to class. People are like, maybe not in the best mood to kind of say like, okay, who wants to like skip class and you know, I'm just going to take the bus and we're just going to go somewhere else really fun. <laughs> and like, I'm sure that's not possible with the buses and maybe not. What, and I said that and then the person in front of us turned around and said, this is why they don't let Hampshire students <laughs> drive buses here. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but it was just really cool, um, uh, especially um, the nights, you know, the bus drivers, a lot of them were, were students. And so people were, you know, going out and it was just like a really fun environment. and. You know, one of the things that I think we all try to spend a lot of attention on, especially up here, is how to create community. And, um, you know, I would say an overlooked general public is that, you know, public transit is its own micro communities that are moving around. And that's just such a cool aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, you really, um, well, for one, I think riders still have a lot of rapport with their drivers. They see them every day sometimes right, multiple right. times per day you end up just by that quick brush coming on and off the bus learning a lot about each other and you get to know each other's routines and what you know what you need help with and what you're excited about and what you're celebrating what you're sad about because you just see each other so mm -hmm. much and i think the passengers too i mean you you know if i'm riding from west lebanon to hanover and i, I do that more or less the same time every day i might see the same passenger every day and you start to talk and you get to know each other right. and um i love that experience of writing at because you'll you really you'll see people who are catching up they haven't seen each other in a couple of days how's it going um it it really feels like um almost like the social environment of being at a restaurant or a cafe right. or you know in a park or something like that but you're on wheels and you're getting to where you need to go 
And it's free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, um, we are very lucky to have Advanced Transit in this region. And so thank you for um, all the work and really excited about the changes in the fall. Um, and what was the website again if people want to go to learn more? It's www.advancedtransit.com slash plan. Great. Um, thank you both for sharing a little bit more about what's happening here and for all the work bringing transit to our communities. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your support. To all the folks that are listening, we hope to see you on the bus soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hanover Happenings. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing with a friend or leaving a review or liking on whatever platform you use. Remember that you can find all of the episodes of Hanover Happenings at HanoverHappenings.com. You can also find agendas, minutes, documents, uh, budget materials, uh, email list signups on our website, which is newly redesigned, and that is at HanoverNH.org. Thanks again for listening and being engaged in your community.